WLRN edition 94. Broadcasting in three, two, one. I was born woman. Off my knees, I will stand for my liberation. Sisters, rise again. I was born woman. Off my knees, I will stand for my liberation. Rise and rise again. Greetings and welcome to the 94th edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News. For this Thursday, February 1st, 2024, this is Emily Fay. This month's edition focuses on lesbian love and relationships. We hear an excerpt of an interview Thistle and I did with Leaf and Firewalker, two women I met at a feminist women-only gathering a few years ago. We asked the couple how they've maintained their relationship for close to 40 years and discussed the complexities of lesbian relationships within lesbian and women-only community building. Stay tuned till the end of the show for Sekhmet's brilliant commentary on the subject. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's Thistle with women's news from around the globe for this Thursday, February 1st, 2024. Take it away, Thistle. Thanks, Emily. In late January, the hashtag Protect Taylor Swift was trending on X, formerly known as Twitter, because of pornographic AI-generated images of Swift known as deepfakes shared and distributed by ex-users from websites where the images were posted. There were images generated of her in lewd and sexually explicit positions at a Kansas City Chiefs football game she attended. There were other sexually explicit and exploitative images that her fans attempted to bury in a flurry of thousands of tweets aimed at protecting the singer's dignity and privacy. Despite this effort, the Deacon Herald reports that the images were viewed by as many as 45 million people before they were taken down. The hashtag #ProtectTaylorSwift was created by Swift's fans, or Swifties, and quickly caught the attention of public lawmakers and of X itself. An article in Cointelegraph from this past weekend reports that U.S. legislators are now pushing for it to be a federal crime to create fake pornographic images and distribute them on social media. U.S. Representative Joe Morrell tweeted his strong disapproval of disseminating the images, describing it as appalling. Representative Morrell authored the Preventing Deepfakes of Intimate Images Act, which would make non-consensual deepfakes a federal crime and called for urgent action on the issue. AI expert Henry Adger was quoted in the Deacon Herald saying, quote, This case is horrific and no doubt extremely distressing for Swift, but it's sadly not as groundbreaking as some may think, unquote. Adger went on to say that, quote, 
The ease of creating this content now is disturbing and affecting women and girls, regardless of where they live in the world or their social status." Unquote. The Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine has updated their report on the World Health Organization's announcement of a public comment period about their new, quote, trans and gender diverse guidelines, unquote. Originally, the World Health Organization was taking public comments until January 8th, but has now extended the period for comment until February 2nd, in whose new announcement, in addition to extending the public comments period, they make it clear that they are addressing hormone treatments and cosmetic surgeries for adults only. WHO states in their updated announcement, quote, the evidence base for children and adolescents is limited and variable regarding the longer-term outcomes of gender-affirming care for children and adolescents, unquote. Unfortunately, this does not protect young adults between the ages of 18 and 25 who are vulnerable to the appeal of transgenderism. Our sisters at Redux reported on January 27th that the incidence of trans-identified males murdering their parent or parents have increased in recent years. One such incident involves a man who worked with kindergarten students as a paraprofessional in Brooklyn before he was arrested for the murder of his mother and her beloved dog on January 19th. Andre Eugene, who lived with his mother, is now in police custody facing charges of murder in the second degree and aggravated cruelty to animals. Redux reports that while most media outlets correctly reported that the accused murderer's sex is male, some referred to him as a woman and used she-her pronouns for the man in their reports. The blog Critical Therapy Antidote, or CTA, was created by psychotherapists, academics, and clients of psychotherapy in 2020 out of concern that the field of psychotherapy is bombarded with uncontested critical social justice theory adversely impacting talking therapies according to its about page on its website. CTA recently reported that membership to WPATH, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, a group that promotes the use of wrong sex hormones and cosmetic surgeries in people under the age of 18 and adults, saw a drastic decline in 2023 and going into 2024. Only 12 months ago, WPATH published and was promoting its, quote, new standards of care, version 8, that seek to streamline and simplify access to hormones and cosmetic surgeries for minors and adults. Since then, according to CTA, WPATH has lost more than half of its membership, though their standards of care document has been used to craft legislation in the United States. In San Diego, California, lesbian radical feminist Anne Menashe has been barred from participating in the Jewish Voices for Peace San Diego chapter because, quote, her presence makes it unsafe for trans people, unquote. Ms. Menashe had recently rejoined the organization to protest Israel's invasion of Gaza. Ms. Menashe, who was scheduled to speak at a JVP rally, told organizers she would attend despite her being barred. 
The organizers responded by changing the location of the event without telling her. Ms. Menashe then circulated an open letter to Jewish Voices for Peace, signed by Chris Hedges, Cindy Sheehan, and other high-profile leftist anti-war activists, calling for the ban on her participation to be lifted. As of the airing of this story, Ms. Menashe remains barred from participation and has this to say about it on Feminists in Struggle's website. Quote, To my leftist comrades who think feminists like me should be excluded from the movement, you don't own the left. You just think you do. Radical feminists are part of the left, whether you like it or not. If you are serious about stopping war and genocide, stop witch hunting out some of your best activists and doing the work of the IDF and the Pentagon for them. January 24th marked National Girl Child Day in India, observed each year to raise awareness of the inequities that girls face, promote girls' rights, and recommit to improving their status in Indian society. The holiday was instituted by the Ministry of Women and Child Development in 2008. The UN reported this month that the Taliban has intensified its enforcement of restrictions on Afghan women in public spaces who are single or otherwise unaccompanied by a male guardian. According to the report, three female healthcare workers were detained in October for going to work without a male guardian. The women were released only after their families signed a written guarantee the women would not travel to work alone again. Unaccompanied women have also been prevented from accessing health facilities by the Taliban's Vice and Virtue Ministry. The ministry has likewise visited bus terminals to check that women were not traveling alone and to instruct bus drivers to bar unaccompanied women from boarding the buses. In recent months, the Taliban has also tightened its enforcement of hijab requirements by instituting checkpoints and inspections in public places, offices, and schools. A formerly incarcerated woman in the women's jail on Rikers Island is suing New York City, alleging jail staff ignored her warnings in 2022 that a trans-identified male housed among females was actually a man pretending to be transgender in order to prey on women behind bars. According to a segment produced by NBC Channel 4 New York, the man immediately told his female bunkmates that he was not transgender after the guards dropped him off. He said that he was straight and liked women. Even after warnings and complaints, the victim said correction officers failed to remove the alleged perpetrator from female housing, despite allegedly propositioning the victim sexually and groping her in the shower. Days later, the victim claims she was raped in her sleep by the perpetrator and remarks in the news segment that this act has, quote, scarred her for life. Folk Alliance International has announced Tracy Chapman will receive their Elaine Weissman Lifetime Achievement Award at their annual conference in February. Recently, Luke Combs' cover of Chapman's 1988 song, Fast Car, hit the number one spot on the Billboard music charts in 2023 and has introduced her songwriting to a new demographic of listeners. Four-time Grammy Award winner and 13-time nominee, 
Chapman first gained the world's attention with Fast Car in 1988. As listeners discovered her self-titled album that same year, Chapman emerged as one of the most important musical voices of her times. Songs like Baby, Can I Hold You and Talking About a Revolution demonstrated different facets of her writing. Chapman grew up in a black working class neighborhood in Cleveland, Ohio. She earned a scholarship to attend a boarding school in Connecticut, then enrolled in Tufts University. She performed acoustic sets in Boston while still in college. At the age of 24, she released Tracy Chapman, the first of her eight studio albums. Tita Rivera died January 30th at the age of 91. The 10-time Tony nominee and two-time winner was most recently seen on Broadway in the musical The Visit in 2015. Rivera made her Broadway debut at age 20 in the original production of Guys and Dolls. She originated the role of Anita in West Side Story and had 18 Broadway credits to her name. Rivera was the first Latina to receive a Kennedy Center honor and was a recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. In 2017, the Astaire Awards were rebranded the Cheetah Rivera Awards for dance and choreography. As is tradition when a legendary Broadway performer dies, the lights of Broadway will be dimmed in her honor. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for Thursday, February 1st, 2024. I'm Thistle. Share your news stories, announcements, and tips with us by emailing info at wlrnmedia.com and letting us know what's going on.
That was Dolly Parton with her song All I Can Do. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of an interview Emily and Thistle did with Leaf and Firewalker, a lesbian couple who have been together for 39 years. They talk with Thistle and Emily about the key moments and values they hold in their relationship that have allowed it to grow and thrive over time. And today we've got some great uh, guests. Our theme this month is lesbian love. And so we've invited on an amazing couple who I've met a few years ago at a great lesbian conference, uh, Leaf and Firewalker, who are a couple you're about to celebrate your 39th anniversary. Congratulations. Thank (laughs) you. I would love to know how the two of you met and how your relationship began. Oh, it's that traditional met met her at a gay bar. <laughs> bar. Yes. A lesbian. Yeah, it was a women's bar. Yeah. 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 She was the bouncer. I was the bouncer oh, yes. in uh Kansas City. And it was a bar that was on the county line road, so it kind of w- walked between Kansas and Missouri. So we were totally aware that there were all kinds of politics going on. So that was the best place to have a bar. And I was the bouncer, and uh, Leaf actually came in a lot. <laughs> I was checking the women. I had just moved to Kansas City uh, and gotten a new job. And so, of course, when you move to town, yeah, I went to the bookstore, which was New Worth Bookstore then, to say, where are the lesbians hanging out? And they pointed me to uh, Pete's Pub, I think it was called back it then. It was. Yeah, and it eventually changed names to Birds of a Feather. So yes. we call it Bird sometime, and then sometime we call it Pete's. But yeah, that's where that's where the, uh, uh, the socializing was happening back then. Mm-hmm. We met in the, uh, the beginning of, like, August, September, and uh, that's why I say really she came in a lot, but truly it was just the fact that we really didn't uh, hook up until February, so I saw her off and on in and out of the bar. I mean, there were choices, you know. You had to dance with a lot of people, talk to a lot of women. You got to make decisions. You had choices, you know, so you had to keep circling back, and uh, so, yeah, she was a good dancer. Yeah. yeah, and she gave me her phone number a lot. Yeah. I just kept yeah. putting it on yeah. the stack. You know, it's one of those. Her oh. stack, right. Yeah, yeah. See, I hadn't gotten my stack of cards I yet. I don't think we even had business cards back then. It was really the write your phone number on the napkin kind of thing. That's true. All right, that's enough of we have met. You know, it strikes me as as um, it's just so different than how lesbians meet each other today on, on apps, you know, right. online and how... Uh, that's a very, very different, like your situation, like you had other women in real life, face to face in a social setting, a bar that Mm -hmm. I assume you said there was politics around, but it was somewhat safe. And through time, you, you didn't just hook up right away. You had time to go and spin another girl around the room, you know, first before you, you know, settle, you came together and made your choice. And I um, think that that's just so natural and and beautiful because it's coming from within a community and that we don't just, we don't have that anymore, right, Emily? I mean, like, we we know some young, well, young lesbians. far between. I mean, you know, I think, you know, there is a slight parallel to how we met. We met at a women's festival, and so we were in an insular women's community for a, a week, 
it, yeah, but and, they were in it for I, months. Right. I know. I look at, <laughs> I agree. I agree. I don't, I, I think it's very few. Like I personally don't have any friends who have had, you know, of my generation who have had experiences of meeting women in the way that the two of you met. Like I, I, most, most of the women my age, they met on an app or, or a few women, you know, met a, at a gathering at a women's land. But yeah, then it immediately turns to phone texting messaging. And, and it is, I think it's, I think there is a loss of like how totally different. Yeah. Cause this was 1985. Yeah. That's when that was happening. And, and, and you know, just looking at the topic of this podcast, lesbian relationships and the longevity and the strength of them and celebrating them, you know, having a, a gals, a Galentine's day podcast. Um, mm-hmm. What, what do you think, is going to strengthen the relationships that we have today, considering all this technology and lack of like lesbian meeting places like you had in 1985. I think, well, um, cause even now because of COVID, you know, a lot of us were separated from our communities and, um, uh, because we are in a, a a lot of lesbian writing communities, dyke writers that Emily had gone to and Double X Amazon, that we continue to communicate uh, on very scheduled Zoom meetings. And so we share a lot of our writing every week on Lesbian Write On, if you're familiar with that. If not, I can send you that information. So that keeps our communication face-to-face uh, and also sharing our uh, experiences because we're we're writing uh, uh well it's a scheduled organized meeting every wednesday and there's topics and even women from australia log in and all over the country and so we we feel like you know we we are staying connected with that and then of course we we make uh efforts to go up to alpine to women's land and we make efforts to create dyke riders, which is um, uh, uh, um, a gathering place for lesbian riders in South Georgia that we physically get together at a state park for uh, for four or five days, which we hope you'll come on down and do with us. Oh, yeah. but, but to answer your question about for you, what it might take, especially in the political arena we're seeing now, is... What we hope you will get from us by joining some of our Zooms is the history of how why a gay bar existed in the 70s and 80s was it was not safe. So we we migrated to a place, a, a, a woman who felt strong enough to open a bar for us, uh, was confident enough, willing to do the politics, pay what she had to pay to make, ensure our safety. And that's why we could go back to the same place month after month was because we knew we were safe in that space. That being said, the straight world didn't know where we were. And I think that where politically where y'all will be headed as a younger community is there are going to be the need of those to step up and reopen bars and bookstores and safe spaces that is not out to the straight world. It's not media driven by people who want to just share all these places and open the doors. It is, it's going to be a struggle, but I do believe that from our older generation that you, while we're still here, 
You should try to get that from us. Is how were those women able to politically open a bar and keep it low keyed? And how did we network without the internet being existing? Is we networked by making sure that if we showed up at an event, we would tell somebody, "Have you been to Pete's?" And they go, "Never heard of it." And by word of mouth, you begin to build your community. But it did take those that were um, willing to be out. Um, and talk about it, not be intimidated by people that would say, I'd never go there because I'll lose my job or somebody will beat me up or whatever that might have been. It, it's, it's that core base is going to have to be re foundation is going to have to be reestablished in your community mm -hmm. because the social um, teching in that that's done isn't putting you face to face and isn't sharing that emotional connection that's going to go into longevity, which you will need in order to create that. I trust you atmosphere yeah and even like you know with uh, with dyke riders or double x amazon we had those private google groups you know so you're communicating only with people that you've kind of vetted and of course dyke riders you know we have a vetting process that we created mm -hmm. and women who are willing to do the vetting and interviewing to make sure that you're uh you're, you're going to be uh, in in a safe space with safe folks wanted to um you know at some point in the interview steer it a little because it's valentine's day and i think let's make it flirtatious let's talk about love and like falling in love and is is what is that and what sustains a relationship what keeps it romantic what keeps it exciting you know and is there a difference between maybe a lesbian spark and like another kind of spark i don't know like, <laughs> i don't know never had to have those sparks with uh, those others. Those other sparks right, right, right. so we don't need to talk about that we don't need to talk about that but you know what i mean about like that romantic i know that what 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 is that you know is is that um important for longevity or or is that just something the zing that happens in the beginning and then it just tapers off and it's not there anymore well oh i think it just it just changes you know it's uh yeah that spark is always there because uh of the caring yeah that and and i think it's all your experiences together you begin to you know you, you have so much in co in common after a while that you know it, it, you you still have to communicate you can't just assume you know well i know you want to do this or that but and communication of course is the big key in person you know uh not just uh in the same i i have heard of you know folks in the same house texting all the time and mm -hmm. calling each other and doing all that but it's uh no it it's connection and and communicating that and planning things together i mean we travel all the time we look for uh women's events and uh we enjoy those together and that in and then we discuss and talk about you know making connections with other people who are still who are still um happy and are uh, have relationships too that we can share our relationships even with when we first got together lesbian connection the mish fest was going on and we'd only it was like let's see if we really like each other well enough and we actually went to the Michigan Women's Festival probably the the first few months we were together mm -hmm. and uh 
and it was like this was a test we were either going to yay or it was like i don't know so we really did get to know because again going back what emily said about the safe space of going to festivals that's where she met us Mm. once you know you're safe you can kind of let all of the the mask down and you could just talk about who you are and and so we were able to really set that groundwork uh that we are very strongly um, wanting to be involved with the lesbian women's community. Yeah, I think that's early on is something really important because really? there are a number of women, and we have women friends now who um, uh, are not very involved in the lesbian community. They have their own little insular group of two or three, uh, you know, couples or something, and that's because early on in their life, because we have old friends, a lot of old friends, we have some nice young ones like y'all, but. Uh, Early on in their life, they taught school or they were in vulnerable jobs or they had children. And so they were not out and they didn't want they didn't want to march out in the street like we did for Womantown. And they didn't go to gay pride because it was a public event. And sometimes they would they wouldn't if they went to Mishfest, they would never tell anybody. And so they didn't they didn't really carry over this the feminist spirit. Right. So I think that's something because I came out uh with women uh in Memphis at bars and uh now meetings uh and uh, so early on, I was I was connected to. There's a lot going on in the country, lesbian festivals and whatever, and I wanted to be a part of that. Even though I was teaching school, I didn't want to hide, and so I was. It was really it was really risk taking, and it was like I want to be my authentic self, and so I uh, I want and I want to check in with women's community quite often, and not just have. One person and, and your romantic partner wanted yeah. to do that as well. So we were very say. fortunate that we both wanted to be part of the women's community and help create women's community ourselves. We had because we, we had did that. A list of questions when we got together that first couple of months, <laughs> and it was like, "You're out, right? We're not going to deal with hiding from family." Mm-hmm. And it was like, Whew, "That's good. You got a job. You got your own money. Whew, that that's great. Point. You know how to pay your bills. Oh my God." You know, now if you belong to, you know, 12 step, I'm not sure because I like to drink a cold beer and she liked wine. It was nice. We didn't have to navigate, you know, addiction behavior. Not that it doesn't happen and people have to go through it. But what kept us going is, is we were first in our relationship and our families and friends were second. We did always keep that. That was kind of a a given early on is that, that when we felt felt threatened from the outside, we weren't going to uh, blame each other. We were going to blame someone else first because it was always always. even if they're wrong, even if we're wrong, explicit loyalty, then definitely being loyal. Did you, um, Form formally tie the knot and have a marriage ceremony and all of that. Yes, we did. Twenty five years later, I was uh, afraid. <laughs> well, and it wasn't legal. I mean, we got married in twenty uh, two thousand nine because it was just becoming legal then, and uh, so and we waited a couple of years only because the um, the uh, states were you know. 
passing a law and then taking it back. We had friends that got married a couple times in California and it got revoked. So, yes, after 25 years, we did. We ran off to Massachusetts because we were waiting on Georgia. And then we came back the next year and threw a big party at an art center and invited our relatives as well as our lesbian and gay friends and whatever. And we had a big bash here to celebrate. And because we had always been out, to all these people were speaking about, they came. Yeah, and there even, was no edging. Oh, gee, I don't know if I can come because my religion, this or that, or what. That's and I not, had religious relatives oh, that showed up, so yes. it was it was very nice that they that they were cared about us enough that uh, you know they could pray later, but they cared about us enough mm-hmm. to show up. I mean, and we had two friends from Madison drive all the way down yeah. that we had met on a trip before. So uh, yes, we celebrated. But and, and like around valentine because because we met in february we got married in mm. in uh, june mm. but we still celebrate the february when we first got together really yeah and february so we valentine, decided it was february. valentine is you know i i do a big poster and i've got cards from all the uh, years that have gone by we still give each other cards and and we still play with it and um we even put on an event here in atlanta we uh, did. about 10 years ago uh valentine day Mighty Dykes. It was Love, uh, Laughter, and Mighty Dykes. Yes. And, and we got a church and we had about 200 women show up on Valentine and they're all in, all dressed and they'd gone to dinner going afterwards. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I, hang on. This was just a couple of years ago in Kansas City. Yeah. Well, no, in Atlanta. Well, in Atlanta. I think it was 2010. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, it was after. But that's yeah. great. So, yeah, because yeah, there's a there's a, a radical church here called First Existentialist uh, Community, and uh, Dykes have been ha- you know having dances there, and, and it's kind of an offshoot of Unitarian, and a lot of Unitarian churches are supported, and so that's where our event was, and it was it was uh, we were reading poems, it was an artistic event. People got on stage and read poems and sang songs, and then after that part was over, we had a dance. Right, because because we have a character that I have a you character have called Mighty Dyke, Keeper of Lesbian Secrets, and I started writing that character all the way back in 1985, mm-hmm. and I've moved her forward through time, mm-hmm. and so we put the theme around that for this Valentine gathering, and so we got writers and singers and poets, and they did Mighty Dyke, you know, Love, Laughter, and Mighty Dykes. That's so beautiful. Wonderful. Yeah, the women great, could, you know, the way can dress and be in love and mm-hmm. kiss and hug and laugh. I mean, it was a lot of laughter. So mm-hmm. uh, when you ask our longevity, our longevity is carrying our individual selves through our 39 years together and still being independently individual, mm-hmm. but yet coming together to do Things like that. Yes, we do agree. Uh, we Drea tends to want to organize things all the time, you know. And so we had uh, a social group in Kansas City uh, called Kansas City Women's Support Group for 10 years. And we created Woman Town, which was uh, an intentional lesbian community. So she 
you know, she wants to do all these things. And so I have to decide because I'm not really the organizer. I would really just rather write my books and be left alone. But because it, because her cre her need to create all these organizations, it did engage us both because I wanted to be part of the women's community. I just didn't really want to run everything, but she wanted to run everything. So we created all these groups. And so... <laughs> <laughs> that's where and we have agreed. That's what's kept us together as we have agreed. I have agreed to be supportive in some of these endeavors, which means I have to write the emails, create the posters, do a lot of all the all the word oriented stuff, get the ads and lesbian connection, you know, send out Facebook things to this day. So we have agreed that, you know, she's always dreaming up events and I I, by default, am always figuring out how to make them happen like, with her. Like, so that is something that keeps us together. That's true. Like currently, we've had a, a Crohn's group now for 12 years in, in in our home. I mean, we 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 get together once a month. C-R-O-N-E-S, like old women. Old women, you know, hags. And we... <laughs> we pride ourselves on being that. Mm -hmm. And then we also have a djembe group that we've Drums. been together eight years doing. And the thing is, it just keeps us involved. You talk about the face-to-face. -face. It's the old-fashioned potluck. Mm -hmm. You know, let's have a theme for the potlucks. Mm -hmm. Valentine theme for Val it's wonderful. Everybody dress up in red. Bring your dish and say, make sure it's not all, you know, red tomatoes. Hot. Bring red jello. Red jello, yeah, you, jello, you know, be clear. <laughs> yeah, beats, beats, beats. right. But mm -hmm. so it's it's that uh, creativity yeah. and the willingness to support mm -hmm. each other in in our like Marianne's a writer, uh, Leaf is a writer, and the thing about Leaf is she needs the time and space and to get it out there and and i support going to her events and filming her and meeting her writer friends which i like dyke writers you know and going because i was very intimidated because we are of two different worlds i was very blue collar working she was very you know college academic type working and so we also had to navigate that in our relationship i have a question about that so was it just smooth sailing from the beginning or did you sort of when you say navigate do you also sort of mean negotiate and learn and maybe do some giving and some taking and some compromising until you finally find your oh totally feeling. totally yeah and we're still doing it today I yeah mean. because the whole literary work I came from academics I was a I was a college English teacher for a while and she was managing a uh, real estate in Kansas City so I knew nothing about real estate and and the kind of job she did and what that required and the kind of people that she hung out with and I just hang out I hung out with academics and airy fairies to her her, her note and people who you know and I knew about lesbian connection and festivals and all that because I was looking for that and her world was much different so when we got together it really was very two different worlds in terms of the lesbian community uh, but because I was new to Kansas City I didn't have a community there and so I moved and so we created one together in terms of like the Kansas City Women Support Group that she knew women 
besides just women in the bar, women from MCC. She has lived in Kansas City a long time. So the variety of women she knew, we pulled into uh, Kansas City Women's Support Group. And as a result, I invited other people, too, that I had more things in common with. So it was uh, the negotiating was, yes, just we agreed to create things together rather than pout about you know, it's not happening for us. And I think that's something for the young younger women now that you have to decide if it's not there, that it's worth your time and energy to create some kind of space, some kind of consistent activity, maybe the fourth Friday of every month, do something and commit to showing up and doing it, even if only a few people show up for the first five or six months, even that you keep doing it until uh, you pull people in. Well, and you know, another thing that just triggered my thought was there was a group called Lavender Umbrella. It was a, you know, a small radical in Kansas City. City, And they put out a Susan B. Anthony Anthony dance for Valentine. And I will tell you that kind of, you know, again, it kind of brought uh, Leaf and I together because uh, we wanted to know our, our history of the women that went before us. So Susan B. Anthony danced re- reinforced. And one of the first things uh, we did was get that video when we were trying to make some new friends when we moved to Atlanta. We got that video of Susan B. Anthony and we invited some people over and said, want to see a film? If they were radical enough to come over and watch Susan B. Anthony we had friends. It was a documentary. Yeah. yeah. But, that's but, but the theme of it in Kansas City piqued our interest because it was another lesbian group in town that introduced new ideas for us. I think, ling- so. I think language also, because I really admire Leaf because she has such a handle on language. And it has helped me through the years to pay attention to uh, things like her story, talk about us talk about our lesbian women talk about those that are mentors and we both strongly believe that uh using our language is critical dyke lesbian Mm -hmm. uh love you honey sweetheart whatever Mm -hmm. you know it's special times Mm -hmm. is really important yeah because i think the queer word has has given us difficulty just because it seems like it's it's more of an erasure term uh but that's just our opinion right now but uh no that's great i'm glad to hear that you know it's like um being inclusive of everyone just it's it you end up with like a gray right soup. It's right like, right and it's, it's not just, like in other venues and things we are not welcoming of other people in all kinds of different situations right, of course we the do. public is supposed to be that you know sure, but in the sure. name of inclusivity women are being we don't need to get onto this topic okay, now, we, so we won't go there. Have to, well you sort of were on this topic before about how lesbians even back in the 80s needed to be low profile that's right that's right take it take it down a notch ladies you know we just sort of word of mouth and we are Mm -hmm. not going to advertise this and i think 
the, well, and some of us were called separatists back then if we felt so strongly about leading our lives only in a women's community, having any kind of repair work or whatever we wanted done. We always wanted women laborers. We felt like we needed to learn a lot of these skills not uh, to support them, but also to do things ourselves. So it was an independent time, too, that we felt like women can do everything that we need need you know to support our lives and that we don't have to we don't have to go outside of that and some and some of that was was too radical for women even in our era because women tend to want to help others so we had women who started rape crisis centers take back the night centers a lot of things like that social work and civil rights activism and that moves away from lesbians first right. to wanting to help a lot of other people which is a good thing sometimes but if that's their main driving force then the lesbian community suffers as a result of it. You know, it's kind of like we were talking about, we kept our own individual selves in the 39-year relationship, still creating and loving and caring for one another. It would be our hope that the LGBTQ and on would realize that they are, every one stands separate, the lesbians, the gays, the bi's, the trans, and so forth, all the way down to the alphabet, and that at the same time, they can be together in their public groups and can have their private groups, because we did have our gay men groups back in the 80s and our lesbian bars and our this group and that group even from a racial standpoint we had the separate groups and i'm not saying that they were all the healthiest but it was a way of still maintaining our individual self and as a as a dyke we even had the blue collar lesbian bar dyke bars lesbian bars you went here for this type and that's the people i hung out with you went here for this type and that's who they hung out i had to wear a plaid shirt for that bar and then i could wear my silk shirt to the lesbian and i had to take my baseball cap (laughs) off to go to her there's the compromise it was like don't wear your steel toe boots to the dance (laughs) so yeah i think it's um it's very strange in our modern society that there this you know everything should be inclusive of everyone as opposed to you know, everyone has their niche of what is going to serve their individual needs, and that's okay. And we don't all fit everywhere, and that's okay because we should all have a space where we do fit. Yeah, well, there's a you know, all churches now uh, have they most every religion preaches some kind of inclusivity but once you join that group within that group then they have the men's group then they have the artist group then they have the, the child care well, people. it just You're only makes sense so it's like that. the tide it comes in and then it flows out and the tide right. comes in and then it flows out and i think we need to have our individual spaces and then we come together that's what public is for there's lots of public places where you know everybody is there it's like the fruit salad the grape stays the grape and the banana stays the banana but then sometimes the banana you know before it's in the fruit salad it's out there with the other bananas and the grapes are with the grapes and it's okay you know that's right i totally agree i think that's one thing that uh, for for uh, uh relationships that you yeah. both have to be 
there. Mm -hmm. And if you want to support each other, and if one of you feels like you need to help everyone else in the universe first before you, then that's where tension tends to happen because then your time is divided, you have less time together, and and less concerns that are common together. So that, again, is something that that uh, keeps us together because we pay attention to us first, everyone else's needs, though we want to participate in them to some degree and do, that we always come back to us. Right. And our our time even, to be very conscious of time and energy, that you don't always just check in at 11 at night and then you're exhausted from a day that you have given to other tasks in the world. So you have to really pay attention to that, I think. That's a strong thing for, for uh, commitments. Mm. I'm curious, um, did you have any like relationship role models, either maybe your parents or family of origin or other lesbian relationships that you modeled or that maybe were modeling something that you saw that you wanted to course correct in your own relationship? Like you, you know, I know in my own life, I've seen things in my parents' relationship that I work very hard to be very different in my own relationships. My mother and and father uh, didn't get married until almost 40. They had very independent lives before that, mostly because of economics and their situations in their own families, because they both came from working class families. So I grew up with this. They Once they decided to get together after six years of going together and thinking maybe okay, and then they decided everything was very deliberate in their lives. And, and it, that came across to me that, you know, they had one child. That's all they could afford. So that was their model. And then they cared for their siblings and their family, but they were first because really of economics and maybe emotional uh, issues too. But because my dad had a large family and of course they were asking for money sometime my mom my mom's family didn't have a lot either and so but i remember that they were always united in how they dealt with their money and how they dealt with the decisions that they made and so i think that was even though you know my, my mom in the end uh, my dad wanted to move to Mississippi to get a better job because he, he wasn't doing well in Detroit. And my mom, being from Michigan in a very different culture, agreed to go with him. And that was very hard for her because she was very out of her element, living in the South, moving there in her 50s. And so I do recognize that even with friends that um, we have now who've come from other countries and how they navigate here. It helped me realize uh, the difficulties that what my mom gave up um, to create to keep that relationship going and it and it showed me you can't give up a lot of things that are very dear to you just to satisfy the other person as well that I really so I, I saw their strength but I also saw um, emotionally uh, that my mom put herself somewhere out of her element so again if dykes were together and one of them didn't really want to be out or in a lesbian community and the other did that there would always be a depression there there would always be a struggle and I saw that in my mom and dad's relationship even though they were loved Loving and cared for each other, but uh, my dad flourished more in his environment because he was in his environment, and my mom did not. 
Your family was just the opposite (laughs) and a large family because there were, you know, seven of us kids and my folks were not good role models at all about money, life, religion, you name it. Alcohol. They drank way too much. So, you know, there was a smoke, you know. So those are some of the questions, though, that led me to ask questions before we got together. Are you a smoker? Do you want a lot of children? Do you have all my insecurities? were part of the questions, even religion, because I really like the goddess religions because of the power of women being our mentors. So I looked at the old religions like that, and I didn't want these male, you know, Jesus on the cross thing, and she was into it. Like you as a friend, but not going to love you as a lover. We were reading the same book when we met. Right. Starhawk Spiral Dance. Yeah, and, and it, so that in its which one? Starhawk Spiral Dance. Oh, and, and that speaks volumes because she was reading it, and I was reading. being brave to read something outside of. Oh, my comfort, comfort zone, yeah. yeah. So uh, cool. Even the yeah, the spirituality was was a good uh, was an interesting connection with yeah. us. That's beautiful. I just and, love that. Mm. And going back to the loyalty thing of of our relationship, the first time I took her home. Now my folks all knew I was a lesbian, so when I went home with Marianne for our first Thanksgiving together, and we were in our thirties, yeah. And here I'd already been out for since, you know, 10 plus years. And I take carry her home and my my family were like vultures in the sense are terrible. They they ended up telling us to leave on Thanksgiving Day because they didn't want us predators around their children. Now I will tell you, there's you talked about a wake-up call. It woke me up that the families that say, I love you, oh, yeah, bring your loved one home. Go ahead and bring them home and see how they respond. If they got a negative response, you cut them off and go on with your life. And we did. We we cut them off for many years. I mean, we communicated maybe on the phone. But But that was it. It We we were number one. They were second. And that really makes a big difference because, you know, if you're going to, you know, they say children always first for the mamas and daddies that, you know. But in reverse, you, you know, what happened to those parents? They didn't care that enough about me. It's like didn't love my loved one. So it, it, it's very important to uh, for me to it was that my friends and family were those of choice that took us as who we That's were. what sustained us, because that is something I think that we see in lesbian relationships, that if if the tie to the your birth family or siblings or whatever, that they, te- they tend to emotionally drain you because of some obligations you feel to them for all of your life, and you're putting your relationship with your partner second, that that's very stressful. And and we see that uh, now that we're older, we, we do see that even with, with women who've been together quite a while, because they feel obligated to do a lot for maybe parents or nieces and nephews or whatever and and both of us have been supportive of of when our parents were elderly and we had to help them we did do that but yeah. again we didn't uh we didn't move in and and totally uh we, you know integrate them in our lives we helped them and we did what we could but we we still had to have our own lives and our own community 
Yeah, because one of the things, we, that's another thing that has kept us together mm-hmm. is financially, uh, again, families, friends, we do not loan money to. It's not that we don't give to charities of choice, and we both agree on that we like to support, but we're not out there giving money to our families that say, mm-hmm. well, I just need uh, this, or I need that, or my grandkids. It's like, no, and, and that's, you know, that's because, again, our life comes first, and our community comes first. The lesbian community is critical, and it's for y'all at this stage, we, we want longevity of lesbian connection, and, other, and podcasts like yours and so forth, and so we, even from a donation standpoint, we've already set up our trust, and we know what it looks like in the organizations that are going to receive from us who have benefited from living our life this long. Uh, it's going to go to lesbian community. We have encouraged older friends, you know, to don't uh, those who have maybe have a pension or some kind of fund to you don't have to leave all your money to the humane society just because you love animals. Mm-hmm. That. The Humane Society gets support for many people, and we know lesbians all have a weak heart for animals and health organizations and educational uh, um, organizations. Yeah. So this Valentine, we would say to those that we all love, ourselves included, donate to Lesbian Connection to have a special pet section in their, you know, well, this publication is, or this is actually a great place to wrap it up that where with that you know this valentine's day yeah donate to lesbian connection or your favorite lesbian organization right. and um good luck with uh you you know what your current projects to the both of you but also to those listeners good luck <laughs> in, the, in the playing field of life and you know, finding that connection that um, these two women, Leaf mm. and Firewalker, uh, embody so well. Um, so thank you. I think the stories you've shared are going to be stories that I that we'll ponder during the month of February and we'll remember and come back to. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for thank letting you. us share. Yeah, and we uh, appreciate it. This. 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 This is WLRN. 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 Women's Liberation Radio News. Women's Liberation Radio News. Women's Liberation Radio News. Women's Liberation Radio News. Lesbians arrive to romantic relationships, whether they're lifelong never-het lesbians or ex-het late-blooming lesbians, with the baggage of their individual childhood and young adulthood experiences, the effects of misogyny and sexism they've weathered as women, and lifelong exposure to anti-lesbian sentiment within their society and culture. That's a hell of a lot to unpack and heal. And, just like any heterosexual, bisexual, or asexual woman, if you don't do the healing, you're probably not going to create the experience you really want in romantic love. Lesbian romantic relationships aren't perfect, of course, but their potential to approach an ideal romantic experience are incredibly high, assuming the women involved have worked on themselves as individuals enough that they don't unintentionally sabotage their connection. 
It's become cliched online, especially among women, but it's nevertheless true. Self-love has to be your priority. Self-love is the foundation of the best, most successful romantic relationships, regardless of your sexuality. And it's also the basis of a high-quality, satisfying life. What does self-love even mean, though? I've learned that it means taking care of yourself as your top priority, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. That's why healing the wounds of your youth, your past traumas and losses, is an act of self-love. Perhaps the most important act of self-love. It is these previous experiences that fuel our core beliefs about ourselves, other people, love and romance, and life. I think it's safe to say that most, if not all, women reach adulthood with deep-seated feelings of inadequacy, insecurity, low self-esteem, and self-hate. Growing up a girl in a woman-hating world will do that to you. Being raised by a mother who doesn't love herself will do it too. Lesbians who grew up aware of their lesbianism, the ones who knew from early girlhood and came out in adolescence or even earlier, are likelier than their late-blooming counterparts to arrive at womanhood, having experienced anti-lesbian prejudice, abuse, rejection from family and friends, and a deep sense of social isolation, all of which leave lasting emotional and psychological marks. Late-blooming ex-het lesbians have a more obvious history of internalizing anti-lesbianism, and that doesn't just disappear overnight once they come out. All of this, the poor self-image, sexism, heterosexism, etc., inevitably affects the way a woman shows up in romantic relationships, how she approaches them, and the treatment she accepts from her partners. It's easy to brush off experiences we had as girls or young adults, dismiss them as ancient history and irrelevant to our present lives, especially if we don't spend much time remembering the distant past and emotionally reacting to it. But so much of our beliefs and emotions are unconscious. It's amazing how unaware of your own feelings you can be. These buried, unresolved emotions and the destructive beliefs they perpetuate in the psyche are why so many lesbians struggle with chronic illness, mental illness, substance abuse, and general unhappiness. It's also why some lesbians have a hard time finding and maintaining happy, healthy, romantic relationships. Time alone doesn't fix anything. Only doing the work will heal and change you. Healing and personal development work take many different forms, and you'll probably need to use more than one method. The right kind of therapy, self-help books, mindset work, grief work, life coaching, and spirituality are all key tools we have at our disposal. Feminist controversy around therapy aside, I urge lesbians to do whatever it takes to process and heal from their girlhood trauma, their young adult trauma, their repressed feelings, and their negative opinions of themselves. The younger you do so, the better, but it doesn't matter how old you are. It's never too late to do the work, and it is always worth doing. Regulate your nervous system. Examine your beliefs, identify the ones that harm you, and do whatever it takes to replace them. 
If you've been listening to this podcast, or if you've been into radical feminism for a while, you should know by now that one way patriarchy prevents women from fighting for ourselves and seizing power is keeping us disconnected from each other. Lesbian relationships are the ultimate union between women, the ultimate challenge to heteropatriarchy on the social level. So it's important for lesbians to succeed at their romantic relationships politically, not just for their own happiness. That doesn't mean lesbians should feel pressured to make their romantic partnerships work for the sake of feminism. The point is, there's political reward for straight men in the failure of lesbian relationships. At the very least, it's a rhetorical barb they can weaponize against lesbian relationships. Men do it all the time online, attempting to convince women that same-sex partnerships between women are even less likely than heterosexual marriages to deliver lasting happiness. While being a good partner and creating a successful romantic relationship is up to each individual lesbian, because her personal development and healing are her responsibility, the only reason she has healing to do in the first place is patriarchy. Internalized misogyny, mother wounds, internalized heterosexism, limiting beliefs about love and oneself as a woman, PTSD and depression and anxiety, all of that comes from heteropatriarchy. The system makes it as hard as possible, not only for lesbians to be themselves, but to love each other successfully. Damaged, self-hating women can't pull off long-lasting, happy, stable partnerships. They don't have the standards they should have in romantic relationships, which is why opposite-sex attracted women tolerate what they tolerate from men. So many women don't even feel worthy of consistent love, commitment, and excellent treatment. That's how hurt they've been as girls. I want lesbians to have the superior romantic love and commitments they deserve, but even more than that, I want them to have the most self-confidence, the most self-esteem, and the most self-love of all women. Luckily, taking care of the latter guarantees the former. If you're a single lesbian, good. Now is the time to work on yourself. No matter how hard and even painful healing yourself might be, I guarantee it's the only way to get the best of what life and romance have to offer. And it's so much easier to do the work when you're single. If you're a coupled lesbian who hasn't yet healed and resolved the past, or established a rock-solid, loving relationship with yourself, you, your partner, and your relationship can only benefit from you taking care of yourself. Don't put it off another year. I wish all lesbians in the world the romantic love you desire and the joy of loving, adoring, and caring for yourself. Happy Valentine's Day to all the lesbians listening. And best of luck making 2024 the year that you show yourself love. Thanks for listening to WLRN's 94th edition podcast on lesbian love and relationships. We wish all of you a wonderful Galentine's Day, whether you spend it celebrating female friendships or lesbian love. WLRN would like to thank our guests this month for sharing their views. Thank you so much, Leaf and Firewalker, for speaking with us. 
Until next time, this is Thistle signing off on another WLRN podcast. If you like what you're hearing and would like to donate to the cause of Feminist Community Radio, please visit our WordPress site and click on the Donate button. Check out our merch tab to get a nice gift in exchange for your donation. And if you are interested in joining our team, we are always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our Facebook and other social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. This is Aurora signing off for now. This is Sekhmet Sheowl signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spinster, Overit, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. And I'm Emily. Thanks for tuning in. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for it on Thursday, February 1st. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast, music show, and interview are released, please sign up for our newsletter on the WLRN WordPress site. Stay strong in the struggle, and thanks for listening. And this is Jenna. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender, loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thank you for your support. We would love to hear from you. So please share, like, and comment widely. But how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss? Shown. Sure.